You're listening to the Overeaters Anonymous Mid-Peninsula Podcast. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. For more information, please visit oamidpeninsula.org. So I brought pictures in case to fill in some gaps to help qualify. Um, and I guess if I don't, I feel so underprepared, which is hilarious because I've shared a bunch of times in the past and I've got a, you know, I actually have a lot of training in public speaking. Um, and um, I still get nervous speaking here and I know it's all, it's just an ego thing. It's because I, you know, think I'm supposed to give this amazing share that's going to inspire everybody <laughs> to blissful abstinence and there we go. Um, that's really not up to me. That's up to higher power, right? Our individual higher powers. Um, so I guess if nothing but garbage comes out of my mouth, I, I do, I do want to emphasize that, I, that in my experience, no matter what flavor of OA someone works, uh, whether it's how or regular or 90 day or any of that stuff, um, the people that have long-term abstinence in my observation are people that keep coming back, they work the steps and they do service. So we read about, we heard about service earlier in the meeting and I absolutely want to just agree with that. Um, I know it's, for me, it's one, it, it, I'm a person, I have, I have fear of people. You know, Big Book talks about fear of people and economic insecurity. My fear of people is way bigger than my fear of economic insecurity. And, you know, when I first came into program, you know, I was able to have those conversations like, oh, the chairs go here, okay. Or if I gave somebody a ride, it's like I could handle talking to somebody for 10 minutes or let them talk at me or be silent or whatever. But I could do that. Um, and so it helped make me feel part of. And then, you know, a lot of the, some of the service positions I've taken over the years, they've basically made me keep coming back. You know, I used to joke around like, well, I'll be around at least till next summer, you know, when that position's over. Um, so I'm really grateful that I finally, I, I was without a service position for a few months this year. And it was, I realized, when I woke up and realized, I'm like, I need to get one. <laughs> so, um, so now I have one, so yay. Um, okay. So I guess to qualify, um, I, you know, if I wasn't born a compulsive overeater, I, I learned how to do it really early on. Um, and I don't remember like ever being a normal eater, <laughs> though I do. Remember, I do remember there was a switch. You know, some, a lot of you've heard my story. Um, and you know, I, th I, was, I think I was like in second grade, and it was some checkup. And I remember my pediatrician telling my mother I was overweight. Um, and the way to lose weight was that I needed, you know, I, I could not, you know, not have seconds and not have dessert. Um, sound advice, but, and I, and I also remember speaking to my mother, not talking to me, you know, uh, even though I was like, you know, eight years old and perfectly, or seven or however old I was, I was definitely capable of understanding language. Um, and, uh, and I'm really grateful that my parents did not become the food police, uh, but there was something planted in me that suddenly it wasn't okay to eat what I wanted when I wanted it. Um, and there were no, there were no rules in my house around food. The only rule was, you know, um, you know, if, if, if they said save this for this event, then you could need it, but otherwise just go for it. Um, and um, I did get praised though, if I turned down dessert or seconds. And and sometimes I think my parents were doing what they thought was the right thing. I don't think there was a right thing. I mean, I was a, I'm a compulsive reader. I was gonna, I was probably gonna be doing it regardless of what my doctor said, regardless of what my parents did, um, regardless of a lot of things. 
you know, I mean, I've, 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 some of you guys have seen the scale I've, I've made. It's like there's a, on one end of dysfunctional families, there's like the Norman Rockwells, which are completely, you know, not existent, like fictional. And the other side is the Mansons, who it's like, what the hell? You know, my family's a little bit, you know, inside of the, of the Rockwells. We're pretty, we're pretty functional, you know, in, in terms of dysfunctionality. But it's like, it still happens, you know? So there you go. Um, yeah, so I remember like just being really conscious of food and like, like knowing... Like, you know, I could eat myself sick sometimes. Um, if there was a holiday with candy, my stash didn't last very long. Um, so I just eat it. And, um, yeah, I just, just ate a lot. And I remember in high school, um, like, actually, I was, I, I, was, I was a pretty normal-looking kid. There's a picture of, the, of me probably the year before the doctor said I was overweight. And I think I looked really normal, you know, for a child of that age. And, um, but I was still doing the behaviors. And I, I didn't really start gaining weight until I was a preteen. Um, there's another picture in there where I look, I feel like my body was square, you know, um, but then I got taller, I got hips and breasts, everything kind of like rearranged itself, so I looked really, like I graduated eighth grade in a size six petite dress, you know, that's, that's not a big size, um, and I was only maybe an inch shorter than I am now, I didn't grow a lot in college, in high school and college, um, and, uh, but I thought I was fat, and I was doing the behaviors, I was doing the compulsive overeating behaviors, you know, um, Again, eating lots of food at parties, um, raiding the pantry. Um, you know, I actually found out as an adult that, you know, if food was gone, they thought my brother ate it. Because my brother's 6'5", and he was really athletic as, as a teenager. I mean, so the boy just needed to eat a lot more than I did. Um, so anyway, um, I used to be so jealous of that. In fact, in fact one of my amends to him was... Um, and I'll, I, I'll, make, I'll get to this a little more in the, in the steps. Like, I used to be so, I, was, I said to him once, I'm like, when you get old, I hope you get fat. And he's like, don't put that on me. You know, because I'm just so jealous of how much he could eat. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so, so, yeah, so, so I was, to, there's a picture of my prom in there. And if you look at it, depending on what your perspective is, maybe I'm on the chubby side of, of thin, or maybe I'm on the, you know, thin side of chubby. It's, you know, that's a size, I think that dress is a size eight. So it's not, again, not a huge size. Um, but again, I was doing the behaviors and I was ashamed of myself and I felt like there was something wrong. Um, like I remember identifying with, you know, whatever, the movies of the week or the inspirational speaker that would come to school that would talk about, you know, drugs and alcohol and abuse and stuff like that. And, but I, those things weren't happening. Um, so it's like, how do I ask for help for being a fat slob? That's, that's what I, how I felt about it. Um, I remember asking my pediatrician at one point, and she gave me the oh-so-helpful advice of like, well, when you're friends and you go to McDonald's, just have a Diet Coke. <laughs> my friends and I didn't go to McDonald's. We went to like the gourmet, you know, sweet shop, and we made stuff at home and, you know, that kind of thing. And again, I was ready, and I was eating, I did a lot of my eating alone, you know, at the, at the house, you know, in my, in my parents' pantry. Um, anyway, uh, so, so yeah, so the first time I heard about Overeaters Anonymous was in high school. There was a teacher, um, who had a poster in her in her in her classroom? It said anorexic, bulimic, try overeaters anonymous. And again, I wasn't doing anorexia; I wasn't doing bulimia. Um, but I think the term overeater caught my attention. And I, I remember copying down the phone number with the whole with the story prepared in case anybody you know caught me. And I was like, oh, my friend might like this, you know. Um, and this is in the '90s, y'all. So like, there was no there no it was early '80s. I graduated high school in 1990, so this would be like '88, probably '89, I guess. Um, and I. Uh, Anyway, so this was back before internet, so you called the number, left a message, and they sent you this unmarked envelope with the, with the meeting schedule, and I'm so grateful, again, you know, for all their faults, my parents really respected my privacy, so they didn't question this unmarked envelope coming from me, um, they just gave it to me, 
And I open it up and there happened to be a meeting, you know, walking distance from my parents' house that I went to the Saturday before Easter of 1990. And um, man, that movie, that, it was weird. <laughs> I had a lot of judgment about you people. I, I, made, I made myself as different as possible. You know, I was the whitest, the straightest, the singlest, the youngest, whateverest. Um, but, this is a huge but, y'all. Um, the one thing we all had in common and that's true, and that's why I love the third edition, is that we all wanted to stop doing harmful things to ourselves with food. Um, so and I, so I, I, I started coming back. I don't remember, I think it was after I graduated high school, I finally started going to meetings in earnest. Like that summer, I, I really went to meetings, I worked my program, I got a sponsor, I worked the steps, lost a bunch of weight, looked incredible starting college. Um, and then, you know, basically the pink cloud burst, you know, sometime in the middle of my first, my freshman year in college, uh, first semester freshman year. I, you know, um, my, my grandfather passed away, my, this boyfriend I had wasn't working out. School actually started getting kind of challenging, <laughs> as college is, because it's harder than high school. Um, and I just, I, I think it was at my grandfather's memorial I started, I started eating like overeating and on the hors d'oeuvres. And um, it was it was really interesting to hear relatives who had, who the last time they'd seen me before this, I was heavy, so they so they saw me, so they were commenting on how I looked really good. And they probably couldn't reconcile all, all the food I was eating at that event. You know, like I remember my aunt saying, wow, the food in the dorms must be really bad, huh? Um, and actually the food in my dorms was pretty good for institutional food. Um, and, they, and they had a, you could take, you know, seconds out with you if you wanted, and that, that was a good setup. I, I took advantage of that many times. Um, anyway, uh, so yes, yeah, so I started eating, and completely unrelated, when, when I, I was scared to call my sponsor, and when I finally, and I, when I finally did, I couldn't get a hold of her, and, you know, she wouldn't pick up the phone. And when, she, when we finally connected, she told me she couldn't be my sponsor anymore, had nothing to do with me breaking my abstinence. It was, she said it was her own personal stuff, so I didn't have a sponsor. And I... I kind of floundered around the program for another year or so. Like I, you know, and I really tried. I kept going to meetings. I kept trying to get a sponsor. I kept trying to make friends. I mean, I went, I went to school in the East Bay, and there's, it's back then it was really strong. There were a lot of young people in that meet, in those meetings, um, a lot of meetings, and, and it was easy. They were weren't that hard for me to get to on the bus, and um, you know, uh, but I just, I just couldn't find a sponsor. I mean, everybody, everybody I asked was either full or they. You know, or the one sponsor I got, she she kept, she wasn't abstinent, so it wasn't helping me, you know. Um, and you know, every time I tried to, con I connected with a, a person my age, you know, they would go away, you know, whatever, they drop out of the program or move or leave school or whatever. And so I just, I just was not. Um, it wasn't, it, it wasn't my time. So that's time. So the only, mis so all I can say is, I think the only mistake I made, the only thing I did wrong at that time, I don't mean wrong, it was the. One thing I could have differently is I, I, what, I, what I did is I, I just quit going to meetings. I woke up one morning and realized there is no law saying I have to go to Overeaters Anonymous. No one's going to, like, you know, kick me out of school. No one's going to take me to jail. They're not going to chop a finger off if, or whatever if I don't go to OA. And so I just stopped. So every single one of you, thank you so much for choosing to be here today because no matter how your program's going, even if you ate on the way to this meeting, you, there's something in you that wants to get better, you know? And it, honestly, it's better in the rooms, you know? I, I, I think if you're in relapse, just keep coming back, keep coming back, you know, something's gonna click. I mean, I, my own sponsor has admitted it took her like over a decade to get abstinence, so, you know, it happens. Um, and it's possible. Yeah, so I just quit. I mean, and maybe I, 
you know, maybe that next week I would have found this amazing sponsor and, 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 and made a, be a best friend of my own age in, in program. But whatever, you know, I chose to quit. And so that was my sophomore year in college. I like to say I had the freshman negative 15 and the sophomore 70 because that's about how much weight I gained that year. Um, I was also living with another compulsive overeater who was a very angry woman, but she had a car and would drive to the store <laughs> anytime I wanted to. So I had a binge buddy right there. I was also dating a active alcoholic and drug addict who was abusive in many ways. And, um, uh, and so that just kind of emphasizes what I was accepting. You know, um, my room was a mess to the point where you know, we had, a fire, we had a fire alarm in our building and um, then when the RA went to go check to make sure if people were out, um, she didn't notice me still sleeping because she probably thought my body in the bed was just more crap in our room. Um, so thankfully it was a false alarm, haha. <laughs> anyway, so fast forwarding to, um, I, I gained a ton of weight. Um, the highest weight I, number I ever saw on a scale was 189. That was my senior year in college. Um, I, was, I, remember, I remember distinctly, I was at my boyfriend at the time's house. I had a boyfriend. Um, he thought I was hot. And um, so there's someone for everybody has, you know, like body, <laughs> just saying, just saying. Um, and anyway, um, you know, he and I went on a road trip after we graduated college and um, I gained a lot more weight. I mean, I say the highest number I saw was 189. I'm pretty sure I got up to 200 that summer because on that road trip, you know, we were in the car a lot, very sedentary. Um, I'm not saying this to take his inventory, but he, um, he stopped smoking. He quit smoking on that trip and picked up food, which is something that can happen. And uh, so I had another binge buddy in the car. Lots of drive-through, lots of, you know, you know, marts where you could buy stuff. And, um, oh, and we knew all the all-you-can-eat buffets you could stop at, la, 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 la. Anyway, uh, we had, I mean, so yeah, so, that, so that, that happened. And then, so what kept, basically what brought me back into program was, this is definitely a higher power God thing. So, we, so the first time I left program, I, I, I don't know why this happened, but I gave somebody all of my OA literature with the instructions that she could do whatever she wanted with it. I didn't want it back. Um, then sometime in, I guess, early 2000, I, I was considering going back to program. Um, I had lost some weight, but I was still like doing things with food that I never thought I would do, like you know, putting on just enough clothes to be decent, you know, going down to the 24-hour grocery store, buying more food that I could possibly eat, um, you know, hiding from a cute guy that I saw because I didn't want him to see me dressed like this, buying all this junk. And, you know, the story was prepared for the clerk about, oh, yeah, my friends will love this when they come over. And they don't, they never ask. They don't care. Why don't we do this, right? I mean, the first time I heard somebody share that, I'm like, ah, I do that too. Um, anyway, so what happened is that, is that I started, I was thinking about, I don't know, do I want to go back to it? I don't know, maybe. So I asked my friend if she still had the books, and she said yes, and I got them back, and I started reading some of them. And, you know, I, um, I'm, I, I'm, back, back, the first time I did program, they didn't have a 12 and 12. It was only the 12 steps. It was a book with just the 12 steps. And so I'm reading that. And somewhere in step three, it talks about, you know, we tell our higher power we want help or we, we want to turn it over. So I remember saying to my concept of God at the time, okay, I want to stop compulsively overeating, um, but I don't want to go back to a way to do it. I'm going to take care of the physical with this, you know, commercial diet club I was in. I'm going to take care of the spiritual with this church club I'm in. Um, and I'm going to take care of the, the, um, uh, Emotional with the therapy, and I was, which I was doing at the time. And I'm not here to, to um, endorse or oppose any of those things, um, but they weren't, it, that, those alone weren't keeping me abstinent, you know. Um, and how I know there's a higher power is that basically, you know, once I told God what was going to happen, a month later I walked into a meeting. 
I don't remember looking it up. I don't remember how I got there. Someone got, I walked to a meeting and I remember being very, very angry. And, be, and behind that anger was fear, which is really my only character defect. Every, every unskillful behavior I exhibit, it's all based on fear that I'm not going to get what I want or something I have is going to be taken away from me. That's basically what it boils down to. Um, and I don't remember what I, exactly what I said to the, the newcomer greeter, but I just remember her smiling at me and saying, welcome, I'm glad you're here. Five minutes left, holy cow. Okay, because um, I want to go through the steps. Um, okay, so yeah, so it took a while for me to get a sponsor. So please, anybody who's having trouble finding a sponsor, just keep asking until someone says yes and you'll find a good person. Um, and I, I took, so, okay, so I came back, so May 1st of 2000, I walked into a meeting. Um, I don't remember, I think it was God Unity like the next year that, because I remember being Unity Day when I, when I talked to this person. But anyway, the timing is, I don't quite get, understand the timing. Anyway, but I, I got a sponsor. She was at a, she was at a day in a way. During the announcement, she raised her hand and said, I, I'm available to sponsor or temporary sponsor. If anybody needs to work with somebody, I'm available. So I completely remember at the break, just like, go talk to her before you lose your nerve. I just like went across the room. Like somehow I made my, made my legs do this. And I, I asked her and she said, yes. And we started working the steps. And well, while I don't work at How Program, I love the 30 questions for working the first three steps. I, I, I take all of my new sponsees that way. And I think it's a great way to work the, work the first three steps. So we did that. I did an inventory. I did a fourth step inventory. It took me, I don't even know how long to write it, but I had like three notebooks. I gave away my fifth step to that sponsor and um, I did not feel the relief mounting minute to minute as it talks about in the AA literature. Um, I felt like the biggest piece of crap ever been invented after that fifth step because, and I had three notebooks to prove it, right? Here's all the, you know, horrible stuff that has happened. Um, but fortunately there's more steps than that. You don't get just get dumped in the corner after step five. Um, I don't remember how exactly we worked step six and seven, probably just talking and writing. And, um, you know, eventually I got ready to have God remove my defects of character. I said the seven step prayer. Um, I encourage my sponsees not to linger on those. It's like, kind of like in the big book, go home for an hour, you know, anything you left out, we'll talk about that. And then let's say the seven step. When you get a, you know, a window of willingness, let's say the seven step prayer together, go for it. Because honestly, I didn't get abstinent until I was in my, well into my ninth step. So there's people that believe you shouldn't work the steps until you're abstinent. Sorry, guys, my experience is I had to work the steps to get abstinent. So if I get a new sponsee and they tell me about, like, yeah, well, I did a fourth step and I relapsed, so I have to start all over again. I'm like, no, keep doing that fourth, fourth step. Finish it. That's my opinion. Y'all are totally free to disagree with me on this because I, I, I get it. There's, there's, it makes sense, but that's not my experience. Anyway, um, so then step eight, made a list of all pe per pe persons we had harmed. We became willing to make amends to them all. The way I did that, and, and, I, and it's a way, way in, I think, in OA literature, um, go back and look at that list on the fourth step. Because if there's people I resented and they did stuff to me, I probably did stuff to them too. And what was really cool when I was doing my eighth step is that um, I would look at some of those resentments and I, was, I felt neutral around them. Like, oh yeah, that happened. Whereas before I worked the steps, anytime I'd think about that situation, it'd be like, oh yeah, that's when so-and-so did flip and then and just spin, 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 spin around it. Um, and so, and so, and what happened, what I realized was that these are human beings who made mistakes, someone big time. There's certain things. I don't think one has to go back and take more if someone's abusive, right? But it's like, okay, they're human beings. They made mistakes. And if they're, if I, if they're human, I'm human. I guess I get to make mistakes too. And for me, that opened up the door to ask for forgiveness and make amends in step nine. And, um, uh, which is, if this is a step nine workshop, I can tell you all the amazing experiences I had making step, uh, making my step nine step amends. Um, you know, in, including one where I went into some mechanic who I must have really ripped him a new one because when I went in to make amends, he looked scared of me. <laughs> um, 
And and I could tell that when when he heard me say, basically, I want to apologize for you know treating you so badly. He's he just like his shoulders dropped, his face relaxed. It was like he kind of smiled a little bit. Um, and there you go. So I was great. And then my brother, who I mentioned earlier, who I resented for being you know being able to eat what he want. I apologized for saying that to him. Um, and he said, you know, that's that's cool. But I think I was probably making fun of you for being fat at the time, which I had completely forgotten. My brother used to do. Like, I don't even think that was on my fourth step list at all. I mean, my cousin did a lot, but my brother did a little bit too. So it was like, oh, nice, I got an immense back. That's cool. Um, anyway, so there's a lot more that I did with that, and they were all really good. I do recommend doing step nine with a sponsor because there's two that, you know, were not appropriate. Um, and I definitely got some WTFs from those people. <laughs> like, okay. Um, anyway, and then step 10, 11, and 12, those, those, they call those the maintenance steps. Basically, step 10 is doing kind of one through nine, you know, in a mini form, you know, to continue to take personal inventory when we're wrong, promptly admitted it. I definitely have a 10th step coming up that I need to write about because of the holidays, because of, you know, anyway. Um, I tried really hard not to have <laughs> great resentments, but it happened. Um, and usually when, I, when I'm resisting doing it, it's because the, I, I know there's some amends I need to make that I don't want to make. Um, so there you go. But, but if, I, if I read it to my sponsor, I usually get the willingness to make amends or, you know, at least get some validation that I did my best. Um, and then step 11, sat through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact. Um, I kind of, I, I sometimes have fun with this, like as I've, I've played with different, different concepts of God, our higher power. Um, honestly, right now, I don't necessarily believe in, well, I believe in God, but I kind of think the universe is a higher power, even more powerful than God. That's just me. Um, and my time's almost up, so let's just say 12 is about doing service, and do service. Keeps you coming back. Keeps you absent. Helps, 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 helps keep abstinence. That's my opinion. Um, so thanks for listening. If you hated everything I said, great. Pray about it, write about it, talk to your sponsor. Give an even better share today in this meeting. So, thank you. If you enjoyed this episode of Overeaters Anonymous Mid-Peninsula, we'd like to invite you to our Overeaters Anonymous Region 2 Convention held in Oakland, California, July 10th, 11th, and 12th of 2020. For further information, please visit oar2.org. Thank you.